Chapter Two of Trading Jeff and His Dog. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kristen Lewis, Houston, Texas. Trading Jeff and His Dog by Jim Kilgard. Chapter Two Bad Luck. Where it flowed into the pool beneath the bridge, the creek made rippling little noises. A swimming muskrat going upstream and suddenly seeing the fire and the two beside it splashed as he dived. From somewhere up the forested hills there floated an owl's mournful cry. Over all murmured a caressing little breeze which, while still soft with summer's gentleness, had within it a foretaste of autumn's cold. Shaken, Jeff stood a moment. It was not the first time anyone had tried to strong-arm his pack away from him, but it was the closest anyone had ever come to succeeding. His fright ebbed away. Tarrant Enterprises LTD had led him into other unusual situations, and doubtless would lead into more. He turned to the dog. Welcome, pal, he said grandly. From now till forever you may share the fortunes of Tarrant Enterprises LTD. But what the dickens sent you at exactly the right time? The dog quivered with delight. He had wandered for so long, his only aim to find someone who would be glad of his company, and at last his goal was reached. He wagged a happy tail and licked Jeff's hand with the tip of a moist, warm tongue. Though he would never cringe, the dog could appease, and now that he had found someone... In order to stay near, he would appease any way he could. Jeff's exploring hand found the dog's matted head and ears, and a puzzled frown wrinkled his forehead. Whoever you belong to hasn't been taking very good care of you, he murmured. Haven't you ever been brushed? His hands dropped farther to the dog's side, and when he touched the right front shoulder, the great animal whined and brought his head quickly around. Jeff had found the place which the chunk of wood had struck, and that was painful. But the dog did not bare his teeth or growl. Jeff took his hands away. You've been hurt, pal, he said understandably. Here, let me feel it once more. Very gently, pressing no harder than was necessary, he went over the right shoulder again. He could feel no broken bones, but just beneath the skin was a jelly-like mass of congealed blood and when Jeff brought his hand away, his fingers were sticky with blood. Next he found the wound inflicted by the brindle bull, and he continued to explore his puzzlement increased. The dog wore a round leather collar that formerly might have fitted well, but because he was thin, it now hung loosely. There was no license or identifying tag. Starved to gauntness, obviously the animal had been receiving neither food nor attention. His long fur was matted, and there were so many burrs of various kinds entangled in it that there was almost no hope of grooming him properly. The conviction grew upon Jeff that this dog was astray, and that he had come to the fire because there was no other place for him. Either he had lost his master, or his master had lost him. And in either event, he was homeless. Jeff frowned. The whole success of Tarrant Enterprises, LTD, hinged on its being entirely footloose. There were places to go, and often it was essential to go there in somewhat of a hurry. 
Obviously, it would be impossible to take a dog this size on a train, and certainly nobody with any sort of vehicle would be inclined to pick him up. Jeff said good-humoredly, Why the dickens couldn't you have been one of those flea-sized dogs that I might have tucked in my pocket? The dog wagged his tail and looked at this friendly human with happy eyes. Jeff rubbed his huge head and tried to think of a way out of his dilemma. Surely the big fellow had no home and was loose on the countryside. Familiar with stray dogs, Jeff knew that just one fate awaited them. Sooner or later, but surely, they were killed. Ordinarily, the young trader would have confined himself to pity, but this dog had helped him when he was in desperate need of help. He must not be abandoned now. Perhaps, Jeff thought, he could find a family that would give the dog a home. But he abandoned the notion almost as soon as it glimmered. How many families wanted a dog half the size of a Shetland pony? Maybe he could pay someone to take care of him. But how could he be sure that the dog would be cared for and not abused? There was no way to check. Six weeks from now, depending on where Tarrant Enterprise's LTD led him, Jeff might be a hundred or a thousand miles away. He did not know when, if ever, he would come back. The happy thought that first things must be first occurred to him. While the dog looked gravely on, he tilted his bubbling coffee away from the fire and unwrapped the chicken. The dog licked his lips and riveted his gaze on the fowl. Jeff grinned. He'd been told that dogs should not have chicken bones, but unless they were always tied or pinned, sooner or later most dogs found and ate them. At any rate, the dog had to eat, and there wasn't anything except chicken, bread, and butter. Jeff sliced both legs from the chicken and ordered, Sit. The dog sat. Obviously he had had training. When Jeff extended a chicken leg, the dog took it from him so gently that only his lips touched Jeff's hand. But when he had the leg in his mouth, he tore all the meat from it with one turn of his jaws. Then he ground the bone to bits and swallowed that too. Jeff looked at the two bites he had taken from his own drumstick. Hey, he protested, just because you're company, you don't have to gobble everything in sight. He looked determinedly away and took another bite of chicken, but he felt the dog's appealing eyes on him and turned back again. If you could talk, he said resignedly, you could be sales manager for Tarrant Enterprises LTD. You certainly know how to sell yourself. Jeff cut a wing, gave it to the dog, and watched in fascination while it went the way of and as fast as the chicken leg. He cut the loaf of bread into six thick slices, spread an equal amount of butter on each, and saw the dog gulp five of them. Jeff ate as rapidly as he could. If he was going to get anything, he had to get it fast. He watched while the dog ate all the rest of the chicken and cleaned and swallowed the splintered bones. If you're going to be a partner, he observed, you'd better learn to pay your own way. I'll go broke, just feeding you. Oh, well, we can always have a nice fresh air for breakfast. Now, I'm going to work on you, pal. You do look sort of wild and woolly, and it might help both of us stay out of trouble if you didn't. Down. The dog lay down, eyes glowing happily, and Jeff used gentle fingers to untangle his fur. Where it was matted too tightly, he cut it off with a pair of scissors, separating a hair at a time, and using as little pressure as possible. He worked on the injured right side. Then he took a brush from his pack and brushed the dog smooth. When he was finished, the dog still looked huge, 
His eyes sparkled in the firelight, and his flappy jaws loaned him an air of grimness. But his coat was no longer tangled or burr-matted. He looked forbidding enough so that it was easy to understand why the two track workers, seeing him and thinking he was Jeff's, had decided to run. Even though they were armed with pick-handles, anyone at all might well hesitate to make rash moves around this mammoth creature. "'Now we have to get wood, pal,' Jeff told his new friend. "'The nights in mountain country are apt to be on the cool side.' He cast around for driftwood that the creek had thrown onto its banks, and when he had an armful, he dumped it near the fire. Always the dog padded beside or behind him, as though fearful he would lose this kind master should he wander more than a foot from him. Jeff threw some wood on the fire, and a shower of sparks floated into the air. The dog curled contently near where he lay down with his back against the boulder. Jeff awakened at periodic intervals to throw more wood on the fire, and in the misty gray of early morning he was aroused by the unmistakable sound of a freight train making up. He listened intently. It paid to understand freight trains. He hadn't known how far off Cressman was, but he knew now. Judging by the sound of the freight train, the railroad yards must be in Cressman. It was about one mile or twenty minutes' walk away. Without getting up, the dog bared his gleaming flangs in a cavernous yawn. He rose, stretched, came to Jeff for a morning caress, and drank from the creek. Jeff looked admirably at him. The dog was one of the biggest he'd ever seen, but he moved with all the grace of a much smaller animal. Jeff dipped water, prodded his fire, and put fresh coffee on to brew. The dog looked expectantly at him. "'You ate it all last night,' Jeff explained. There isn't a thing left unless maybe you like coffee. The dog sniffed about to look up splinters of bone, and Jeff looked at his big pocket watch. He lay back against the boulder, pillowing his head on his hands, and blinked into the rising sun. Quarter to six, he told his companion, and we have to time our arrival in this monopolis almost to the minute. Time waits for no man, but we'll wait for time. The freight labored toward them, rumbled over the bridge, and sent a shower of dust and center particles down. Sitting a little ways from the fire, the dog did not even look up. Jeff poured a cup of black coffee, sipped it, and the dog licked his chops. He was not as hungry as he had been, for last night's meal was a satisfying one. But he had been so long without food that he would have eaten had there been anything to eat. Jeff still lolled idly against the boulder. Dogs were welcome in some towns, and unwelcome in others, and Jeff had never been to Cressman, but it was a country seat. There was sure to be a courthouse, and courthouses opened at nine sharp. Jeff wanted to be there at that time, but not before. If the dog had a license, even though some might protest his presence, they could do nothing about it as long as he was accompanied by Jeff. Finishing his coffee, Jeff poured another cupful, drank it, and dozed for a while. Though he had had a long rest, it was well to sleep while he could. Often, Tarrant Enterprises, LTD, walked into a situation where there was no possibility of any rest. At exactly twenty minutes to nine, with the dog beside him, Jeff started down the tracks. Cressman, he saw, when he entered its outskirts, was a good-sized town and typical. Neat white houses framed both sides of the street. 
The business section would be farther on, and naturally the large building with the flagpole on top would be the courthouse. Jeff walked swiftly, paying no attention to the stairs directed at him. He had expected the dog to arouse notice. The clock over its entrance pointed to nine when he reached the courthouse. The dog close beside him, Jeff entered and turned down a corridor where a white-lettered black sign indicated that license might be had. He paused beside a grilled window, behind which was draped a lank, black-haired, heavy-eyed, middle-aged clerk, who looked as though he had never been fully awake. Without glancing around, the clerk asked a weary, Yes. I want a license. What kind? What kinds do you have? Hunting, fishing, marriage, building, auto, dog, store, cafe, a wide enough choice. I want a dog license. Jeff took the yellow form and the pencil that was offered to him and started to write. He turned the pencil sideways and pressed it until the lead broke. Jeff handed it back. This is no good. I'll use one of my own. His hand stole into the pack and brought forth the mechanical pencil. Not looking at the clerk, Jeff gave absorbed attention to the yellow form. Under sex, he wrote, Mel. When he came to age, he looked shrewdly at the dog and penciled in. Three years. Breed proved difficult, but not for very long. Sure that nobody else would know it either, Jeff wrote. Algarian Borham. Name was simple. Happily, Jeff wrote, pal, and shoved the slip back through the grill. The clerk was staring intently at the pencil. Where'd you get that? This? Jeff held the pencil up. It's a bagstone, the newest thing. I wouldn't be without one. Want to sell it? Uh-huh. I have only a couple left, and I may need them. What's it cost? A dollar. License is fifty cents. Can we swap? Jeff passed the pencil through the grill, but instead of the expected fifty cents, the clerk handed him another slip of paper. What's this? Peddler's license, and you're a peddler. They cost fifty cents. So we're even. Jeff, who had thought the clerk a naive rustic, grinned his appreciation of someone else who knew how to get what he wanted, and started down the corridor. He was still cheerful. He had bought a dozen of the pencils for two dollars, and all except two were sold. It was a good sign, and he might do a brisk business in Cressman. He hadn't thought so when he came in because there were so many stores, and usually people would not buy from a peddler if they could get what they wanted at a store. But Jeff felt lucky. Coming in, he'd been in too much of a hurry to reach the courthouse to pay much attention to the town. Now he had an opportunity to examine it closely. Between 2,500 and 3,000 people, he guessed, lived in Cressman. They were supported by the railroad yards and by a sawmill whose screeching saw made a hideous noise on that end of town, which Jeff had not yet visited. And the workers must be well paid because there was every evidence of prosperity. The wooden sidewalks were well cared for. The dirt streets were clean. And the horses on the street were good animals that cost a fair amount of money and there were a few autos with brass-fronted radiators. These were all good signs. The fact that the stores seemed well patronized was bad, but Jeff wouldn't be able to tell until he had done some canvassing of his own, and he wanted to do that before getting breakfast for Pal and himself. Trade ran in cycles. 
If one Cressmanite was quarreling with the storekeepers, the chances were good that the person's friends would be similarly disposed to take an unkind view of merchants. If there were several such quarrels, Jeff might do a thriving business. The young trader took an obtrusive stand beside a store whose sign read, John T. Allen, General Merchandise. Beneath that, in smaller letters, was the best of everything for everyone at the lowest prices. Pal sat down as close as he could get and touched Jeff's dangling hand with a cold nose. There were few people on the street, but that was to be expected at this hour. The workers would be working, the housewives taking care of their houses, and the children playing. Jeff's eyes roved down the main street. He located and filed away in his mind the doctor's office, the dentist, the stores, the blacksmith's shop, the livery stable, and other business establishments. He knew where the sawmill was, and he saw two church steeples. With few exceptions, all the rest would be homes. It was a good, substantial town, one of many such that Jeff had visited. He looked with mingled wistfulness and amusement at a boy prodding down the sidewalk toward him. About eight years old, the youngster wore a faded shirt, torn pants, and had a dirty face that was lighted by bright eyes and a grin. He shuffled along, being careful to step only on the cracks in the sidewalk and kicking at small objects in his path. Then he saw the dog. His head went up. His grin became a smile, and he hurried to pause in front of Jeff and Pal. Gee, he breathed, is he ever big? What's his name? Pal, Jeff answered. Do you like big dogs, son? I like all dogs. Does he bite? Gentle as a kitten. Go ahead and pet him. Pal stood, his head reaching almost to the youngster's shoulders, and wagged a welcoming tail at the hand stretched toward him. The boy tickled Pal's ears and smoothed his muzzle. Wish he was mine, he sighed. Don't you have a dog? My paw, the boy said mournfully, won't let me have one. Well, I got to go down to Skinner's and get Ma some sugar. Take this. Jeff drew a peppermint stick from his pack and extended it. The boy took it with the same hand he had used to pet Pal and grinned his thanks. Jeff watched him skip down the street and sighed. He liked everybody, but he had an especially soft spot in his heart for children. Besides, it was good business. Should he decide to make a house-to-house -house canvas, he had already paved the way in at least one home. Two women passed, going to the far side of the walk and keeping their eyes averted when they reached Jeff, and a man came from the opposite direction. Without seeming to, Jeff studied him. About thirty, the man was slim and supple, snapping black eyes and a pert waxed mustache betraying his French origin and his quick, sure steps he was a woodsman. He swerved into John T. Allen's door, and Jeff decided that he was a man of short temper. A moment later, that opinion was borne out. Sacré! came an outraged roar. You are a dog among dogs, a pig among pigs. You cheat the honest people. There came a snappish but calmer voice. Take it easy, Pierre. Never, Pierre shouted, never. And never do I come back. He bristled out of the store, turned to fling a final, Never, pig, back into it and confronted Jeff. You know what he do, he screamed. I need the knife, the good hunting knife, for he wants a dollar and twenty-five cents. 
Maybe they're worth that much. Non, never. He looked seriously at Jeff. You sell the honey knife? I do not compete with merchants. You sell the honey knife, Pierre repeated. I sell me the honey knife. But this I demand. Sell me the honey knife. With every show of reluctance, Jeff drew a honey knife with the three-inch blade from his pack. Pierre snatched it, and his eyes lighted deliriously. How much? A dollar and twenty cents. Is good? Pierre pressed a rumbled dollar bill and two dimes into Jeff's hand, danced back to the store entrance, and waved the knife as though he were about to go scalping with it. See? he screamed at the storekeeper. Dog! See? The peddler! He do better than you. I have the honey knife. Pierre stamped fiercely away, and Jeff settled back to watch, but only for a moment. The man who came out of the store was no more than five feet three and so thin that he seemed in imminent danger of collapsing. His nose, covering a fair share of his face, was oddly like a rudder. A few strands of blonde hair clung precariously to his head, and his eyes were furious. Did you sell that man a knife? Yes, I did. Without further ceremony, but with a roar that seemed incapable of emerging from one so small, the storekeeper bellowed, Joe! It was a signal Jeff had heard many times, in many voices that expressed it in many ways. This was one of the occasions when Tarrant Enterprises, LTD, had better move fast. The dog fell in beside him as Jeff started to run. He was too late, though. It was as though the storekeeper possessed some magical quality that would conquer up images at will. Jeff's path was suddenly blocked by a burly 210-pound man who wore a gun, a constable bull's badge, an air of authority, and who had never wasted any time acquiring fat. He loomed over Jeff as a mountain looms over a knoll. "'What's up?' he demanded. "'This peddler,' the storekeeper reverted to his customary snappish voice, is interfering with merchants. He sold Pierre Lelurk a honey knife. Did you? The constable asked Jeff. Yes, but I have a license. It's not one that allows you to peddle in business districts, the shopkeeper asserted. Jail him, Joe. You come in peaceable? The constable asked, or should I take you? Peaceable, Jeff answered hurriedly, always peaceable. Come on, then. Your dog got a license? Look for yourself. Just sort of watch your hand. That dog bite? Not usually. See that he don't, huh? I'll see, Jeff promised. He fell resignedly in beside the constable while Pal paced behind him. He thought ruefully of how little a feeling of good fortune could be trusted. Still, by no means would this be the first jail to have him as a guest and probably it would not be the last. He might as well make the best of it. Nice town you have here, he said, companionably. Yeah, the constable was entirely willing to be friendly. It's all right. How long have you been chief of police in Cressman? Nine years. Say, that's a good title. Chief of police, huh? You should call yourself that, Jeff asserted. Do you have much trouble? The constable shrugged. It depends. There's just one thing I wonder about, Jeff said. I've met a lot of police in a lot of towns. 
All the rest had silver badges. How come yours is brass? It was silver when I got it, the constable said ruefully. Blame thing turned color on me. Why don't you polish it? I do. Every night, you soap and all. Can't do a thing with it. Have you tried Blecker's silver polish? What's that? A polish for badges. Never heard of it. Some store in Cressman should stock it. They don't. I've tried everything they have. He looked searchingly at Jeff. Do you have any? Yes, but Jeff laughed nervously. You've already got me on one charge. I wouldn't care to be up on two. Let me see it, the constable urged. I better not. I won't tell a person. And you have the word of Joe Parker for that. Come on, let's sneak behind this fence and have a look. Well, in the shadow of the fence, Jeff took a jar of Blecker's unique silver polish from his pack, dipped an end of his handkerchief lightly into it, and carefully rubbed a small portion of the badge. As though by magic, the tarnish disappeared and bright silver gleamed where it had been. How much does that cost? the constable breathed. Thirty cents a jar, but you've treated me so nicely. I'll let you have two for fifty cents. Thanks. The constable slipped the two jars in his trousers pocket, gave Jeff a half dollar, and said, Guess we'd better get you to jail. Guess we had. The constable steered Jeff and Pal back to the courthouse, but took them into the basement instead of the main entrance. There were two windows with a desk beneath them, and behind the desk, said a gray-haired man with a friendly face but a weary smile. In the dimly lighted corridor beyond were four jail cells. The constable paused at the desk. Hi, Pop, he greeted the jailer. This peddler was peddling near stores. You tell him what to do with his dog and pack, huh? Without another glance at Jeff, Joe Parker turned and started back toward the entrance. Even as he walked, he industriously polished his badge. End of chapter two. Recording by Kristen Lewis, Houston, Texas.